Hey now, welcome to another episode of Make Defense Great Again. My name is Chris Faster, aka Coach Fast. Hey Thank you so much for joining me. Today we have Terrence Gant from Santiago High School in Southern California. Ooh. We talk about all the things you need to know as you either get into your playoffs or you're into your playoffs. Some of your seasons might be over. You might just be looking forward to Turkey Day and learning some new stuff. We got you covered. In the episode, we talk about inside linebacker play and Ripley's match in 2x2, two two, how to get to the end zone on defense, where I offer some tips on getting guys running to the football like you've never seen them before, defending fast running back motion, Tampa 2 invert out of the 3-3 three, three stack, approaching teams that run different offenses than you're used to seeing or that they've showed on film, dividing time for schemes that you'll need versus future opponents, Scheduling smart in preseason and breaking down opponents that you're not used to facing. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. No, thank you. Sleeping. Housekeeping. Follow me on Twitter at CoachVast, the show's account at MDJ Podcast. Also, run Vast Option at, you guessed it, at Run Vast Option. Join me on Tuesday nights on YouTube, youtube.com slash CoachVast Football. We break down an NFL game, and I usually bring on somebody that covers the team that can fill me on who the hell is who. And also, what they've done in the past, stuff like that. December 1st is going to be a big day for Patreon. Starting then, 15% off if you sign up for the entire year. We got two, possibly three huge projects. Which involves Bama, Georgia, and the Miami Dolphins. And maybe even some offense. Maybe some air raid. Maybe a little Sark action in Alabama. You never know. Just stick around. Make sure you check that out. I'll be keeping you abreast on on Twitter. But I'll be rolling it out all through December. Tons of goodies coming for you. I'm fired up. If you need help defending the wing tee, check out my CoachTube course. Go to linktree.com slash CoachVass. You can get the course link there as well as the course of the week, which is the returning champ, Gary Patterson and crew at the Texas High School Coaches Association Clinic. You can also grab that link there, as well as the links to Patreon, the YouTube channel, the website, all the stuff. If you forget, just remember linktree.com slash coachvance. And if you can't even remember that, just check the show notes. I know Apple's really wonky with that stuff now. Nothing really I can do. It basically just takes all the notes and jumbles them together. It's kind of insane, but I don't know what uh, my man Tim Cook's doing, but hopefully they figure that out because it is a human form of torture. Anyway, I know y'all are busy. I'm busy. It's hired gun playoff season. I got to go, but let's get to the show. Let's get into it, man. My guest today is Terrence Gant, linebackers coach at Santiago High School in Corona, California. Coach, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me on. Um, appreciate everything you do for the coaches in our, in our community and uh, especially the help that you've given me. So it's it's an honor to be here. Oh, stop. You're going to make me blush. So is it Santiago or Santiago? <laughs> I, I guess it's like potato, potato. I mean, I say Santiago. I've heard Santiago. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird, I guess, wherever you're from, that's how you say it. Well, I asked because when I first moved to California, I called Nevada, Nevada, and I got roasted. So I I, I like to ask about that. <laughs> so I know you very well. You're one of my favorite people in coaching. But 
for the listeners that don't know who you are, give us a little bit of background on yourself, how you got to Santiago slash Santiago. Tell us a little bit of your story and then we'll get into the questions. Um, I mean, Terrence Gant, uh, I'm a, I grew up in Indiana, uh, lived in Arizona as a teenager, um, played ball, high school, um, a little bit of college ball. Then I joined the military um, and I was in the Marine Corps, um, was medically retired in 2010. And when I got out, my oldest son was an eighth grader and he said he wanted me to coach him in football. Um, and at first I kind of was like, uh, I don't know, it's been a while, but I mean, when your son asks you to do something, you know, I mean, I think that was the first year I ever went to a Glazer clinic. I spent time at ASU and just anybody or everybody that I could talk to about football, um, I did. And I ended up um, coaching him in high school. Um, So I coached one year of youth football. Then I was a DC at a high school, Tempe High in Tempe, Arizona. Um, And then from there, I went to my alma mater, which is McClintock High School, was the D.C. linebacker coach there and the J.V. head coach. Um, And then I I moved to California. And my first job out here in California was at Corona High School. Uh, I was the D.C. and I coached DBs. And then kind of wanted a break to kind of reinvent myself as a coordinator um, because it was just it's just it's a it takes up a lot of time. Like you don't get enough time for yourself. Um, so I took a job down the street at uh, Santiago um, to be the linebackers coach. And uh, this is my third season um, doing that there, um, which has been, it's been, it's been great. I've had a great group of linebacking core that have come through. Um, and the, the guys I got in the pipeline are just as good. That's great stuff. So tell the listeners, give yourself also, or, or give the listeners a little bit of background on your scheme, what do you guys do? What do you hang your hat on? Kind of where, what's your point of view when it comes to defense? Um, at Santiago, we're, we run the tight front. Um, we're two high shell team um, out of our base, play uh, quarters coverage. Um, we kind of implemented some things this year um, where we've you know, implemented a 40 front. Um, we've implemented some simulated pressures. Um, we've implemented some, you know, uh, five, one boxes. Um, so we've, we've kind of gotten a little bit more exotic, not so as stagnant as we were, you know, two years ago when I got there. Um, but I, like I said, it's because of the kids that we have, um, it really helped us the last three years. I've had an outside linebacker, uh, he's six, four, you know, 220 pounds. And I mean, the kid's just a freak athlete. And I've just been lucky where that kid, he, um, he can play in coverage and then we can walk him down as a five technique. So we can essentially change our front, change our personnel without changing the personnel. Um, so losing him this year is uh, going to hurt a little bit because um, we've got a kid in the pipeline, but he tore his knee, uh, tore his ACL um, during our five game spring season. So hopefully he'll be back this upcoming season. Um, to fill those shoes, but um, we're we're uh, our base is three four tight um, quarters coverage. Gotcha, gotcha. Good stuff. It's uh, it's a great defense, and if you have the guys to run it, you know I think you can make it work out of other defenses. But if you have guys custom made for it, 
it is a very large pain in the ass. So let's get to the questions. The first question is from Jason Pratt, a linebackers coach in West Virginia. It says WV State from Charleston, West Virginia. His Twitter handle is at Jason Pratt. That's with two T's, 89. In Ripley's match, what is the coaching point for your inside backers and coverage inside of number two and doubles two by two? Um, I'll take that one first. Um, the way I was taught was that those guys are your hook droppers, and it's all dependent on what three's doing out of the backfield and what two's doing. Um, so the way I was taught was if two comes across, he's running a shallow route, that inside backer to that side gives a, a in call, and then he, he robots to the middle of the field because he's building that second level of the three layers of defense you're going to try to build to beat a levels concept um, like shallow um, or the NCAA. <clears throat> so that's how I was taught. Um, if, if three's in the down, he just becomes a hook dropper. If three is out, he gives a push call and everybody pushes the coverage. Um, the fast three, uh, you get the push call. So that's how I was taught how to teach those guys. Um, you know, it's based off what three's doing and then what, what two is doing. Um, if two, like I said, if two's coming shallow, he gives that in call and he robots to the middle of the field, hunting the dig route coming from the opposite side. Yeah, so my knowledge of that is very similar. They're dropping, they're getting to the hook, they're reading off of three. If three blocks or is you know, releasing up through the line, they'll play like regular cover three. They'll play, you know, high to the low. And then if three is fast, if they're to that side, they're going to push. And it depends on the flavor of Ripley's match. So if you're a Saban guy, you will push and then look to play inside a two. But some of the guys that run the match coverages, the Aranda, the gone, all that stuff, they'll play like, man, in fact, when Ripley's first started, there was no fast three rule, and that's what they call it. So fast three, it turns into a zone. They push it. But when it was first created, it was the backer stayed on it because it was really made. It's for one back. And the backside backer will then drop over the middle. So it, it, almost, it almost looks like man free in a way with those guys. And... Mm -hmm. Really, it was really only meant to be zone if two or one ran a shallow. If everybody went vertical and there was a swing, it played out like man free. Now, I know a lot of that's changed. And if you're the inside backer, you basically got to know if you're two or away from three. If you are away from three going fast, you then have to take anything coming back to the to the strong side. So let's say you get flood or sail or whatever. So receiver outside runs a vertical. Number two runs an out three runs a swing or an arrow or flat, whatever you want to call it. And they bring a shallow from the other side to try to get four to one side. The backside inside linebacker basically has to take that through. They have three through their zone. So that's the biggest coaching point. Otherwise, otherwise you're going to get high load and you know, you know, somebody in front of you and somebody behind you and somebody inside and outside of you if you're that backer that's to the back. So that's the biggest coaching point that I know and, and from some of the other guys. And I learned the Rip Liz kind of secondhand, and then I have been 
around guys that have taught me their iterations of it. So I will be honest with you when it comes to straight up, you know, how does Bama teach it? Sometimes the rules get a little foggy for me because I've, I've talked to so many different people with so many different iterations of the coverage that starts to get jumbled in my brain. You know what I mean? And so I can't, I, I, I can't exactly keep it straight in my head, but I know those are the main coaching points. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, it's, I guess, like you were saying, it's, it's all who you talk to. Cause I know guys that use the push rule. Then I know guys that teach it where they don't teach the push rule at all. Um, so it's, I guess it's just pretty much what can your guys do and what can they accomplish and what's their learning curve of understanding the defense. Well, and also what you're seeing. So I know, um, when I visited Tennessee with Kyle Kogan and Chris King, Jeremy Pruitt spent a bunch of time with us and he talked about taking off the fast three rule versus certain teams because they would use that rule to screw with them. So basically it's kind of it reminded me of um, if you ever w- listen to those old Gary Patterson or watch those old Gary Patterson videos where he talks about peeling with the smoke, the edge blitzes, how they peel with the back if they flare mm-hmm. unless they're only doing it to get that guy from stop blitzing. So then they'll just leave the inside backer on the guy and let him keep going. And it's kind of, that's what it kind of reminded me of if they're swinging the back to distort your underneath coverage, then don't, then take the fast three rule off, leave, leave it on, or I'm sorry, leave it off by the way and play it like it was originally played. And my whole thing is for guys that are like, Oh no, 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 we got to play fast three is okay. If you're going to play man free. Now, if you don't play man free and you're just a rip Liz team that only plays three deep and plays uh rip Liz to get away with playing two by two. But if you're in other coverages where, you're allowing your inside linebacker to play man to man on a running back. If you don't trust him to cover him on a swing, you know, why are you playing him in man in other situations? So that's kind of my thought there. Again, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to swing that back to get him out there and outflank you? And is he really good? Then, you know, leave the rule on. If you have that rule on, if they're just doing it to try to get you to drop out of that window and stop kind of hanging on number two and trying to throw like choice routes to two or like running almost like a stick concept where not really stick because you really can get that ball out to the back fast. But if you're running like, let's say you're running a nine, a choice route uh, with the tight end where you're getting almost like a read dig and a swing and they're just trying to distort you because they want to get that option route open. Then I'm leaving, or I keep I keep getting it backwards. I'm taking the rule off because again, when I learned it, there was no fast three rule. So when I think of the fast three rule, I think of taking it off. That it was added secondary, but now it's taught that way. So apologize for the confusion in some of the semantics, but um, I mean that's really the essence of it. Thank you for the question, Jason. The next question comes from Thomas Stevenson. He's the DC and linebackers coach at Heartland High School in Heartland, Michigan. His Twitter handle is at TSteve50. This is actually a really interesting question. His question is, we forced 24 turnovers this year. Congratulations. 15 interceptions and 9 fumbles in 10 games and somehow didn't take any to the house. Statistically, it doesn't make any sense that we weren't able to take one of them for a touchdown, but a big priority of mine this offseason is going to be figuring out ways to practice scoring on turnovers. Any tips, drills, techniques you have used in practice, scoring on a turnover, thank you. I'll take this one first. Very easily, 
done for us was when we did our interception drill, we taught our kids to pitch interceptions. Now, I know some people think that's insane and that's too risk, uh, you know, risky. And if the head coach says no, the head coach is the boss. So you do what they say. But, you know, I don't know many offenses that practice defending interceptions. And so if you do that drill once, you know, twice a week and you teach them how to pitch it where they can only pitch it outside and if they're on the edge, you know, we would basically treat it like a wall punt return, get everybody on the uh, top of the numbers. The guy with the ball is at the back with one guy trailing um, behind him in pitch relationship. You can never pitch inside, always pitch outside. The other thing is, I don't know the statistic, and I think most of the times I heard it, it was made up, but... The guy who catches the interception is usually the one that, or I'm sorry, the intended receiver is the guy that usually makes the tackle on the interception. So stress blocking that guy. So, you know, if it's a curl route and the corner jumps it, the nearest safety needs to go block that guy. Always block in front of the play. Except, you know, if the guy's right there and he can really make the tackle, but let guys go by, form a wall in the numbers, have the DNs go find the quarterback. Don't go for any kill shots or anything crazy. You know, teach it almost like you're about to block somebody in the back on uh, kick returns. We call it rip by. So you throw your hands up, turn your back to them and yell rip by. And that really helped us. And it, it to me, and I learned this from my mentor, Keith Burns. It's not about the scoring on defense. It's the mentality. It's the hunger to get to the end zone. And yeah. you want to get your guys running to the football in that in that scenario. Tell them they may receive a pitch for a touchdown. I guarantee your ass they'll be running down that sideline. And I remember when I first started coaching, the the stat that Burns used to say was like, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but one of those Ravens teams, like the 05 or 06 or 04 Ravens, they scored like seven touchdowns on defense, and six of them, the guy that got the touchdown, didn't start with the ball. So I, I don't know. That's something I've always lived with. And it just creates a FU mentality. And, you know, who, who can uh, who can disagree with that part? What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it was probably Ed Reed taking the ball from somebody. Yeah, but, he probably um, ripped it out like that play against Boston <laughs> College when he just took it out of the yeah. guy's hands. Um, but for us, I mean, the philosophy we use at Santiago is, it's just like anything else. It's like the pursuit drill. You know, guys say they want to be a good at pursuit. What do you do? You find a drill. So we have an interception drill where the guy who intercepts it, the nearest person goes and blocks the intended receiver. And then from there, everybody else is going to create a wall at the numbers. And that the, the key for the interceptor is to get to get behind that wall. And then it just turns into a convoy. Um, the closest D lineman, he's responsible for the quarterback. Because like you were saying, most times it's either the person who intercepted the ball or it's the quarterback holding up the, the convoy, which gets your guy caught. Um, so we, we work that drill. And then with fumbles, um, you know, we, we call it city road, country road. If it's city road, I'm, I'm diving on the ball. That means I'm in an area where there's a lot of bodies. But if it's country road, we actively spend time, you know, learning how to bend, bend at the hips and pick the ball up and continue running. Because, you know, you see it all the time. High school, kids been down, they kick the ball, they're fumbling it, they never get it, and then you never get the fumble. So we actively, we have, um, our DC does it, and it's every day. That's where each defensive coach has a drill. 
and you're working, and that's one of the drills they do with the D-line, where they're just learning how to bend because your D-line coach is teaching D-linemen every day how to bend at the bend at the hips, right? And so he's teaching them every day how to bend to grab the football without kicking it and fumbling it. And it's something that we work. I mean, this year we we did it a lot. I mean, and it and it, it worked for us. I mean, we had uh, we had 15 picks and uh, nine fumble recoveries um, and calls like 11. I mean, against Capital Valley, we caused we forced five fumbles in the first half. Um, so it, it it works when you when you're intentional about it. Um, a lot of guys talk about it. Oh, you know, we want to get better at it, but they're not being intentional about it during practice. And if you, you know, you're having trouble with practice time, that could be a pre-practice drill, or it could be a drill you can end practice with to kind of have some fun, you know, to let the kids, the stress of practice, you know, release from the kids. That's wild. That's the exact same numbers as the guy asking the question, 15 picks and nine fumbles. The one thing that we did, we had a turnover circuit with scoop and score. And this is an old mm-hmm. Keith Burns thing. Now, I would never, I don't want you to, I want you to understand this, Terrence. I would never encourage cheating. Ever encourage cheating. <laughs> However, if you have a chance, and I love City Road, uh, what was it? City Road, Country Road. I Country love Road, that. Yeah. I, I'm stealing the shit out of that. But if you have City Road, no, yes, no, what it's country, I, what, I'm, I already screwed it up. Country Road means it's open, right? It's open, yeah. See, I get confused because City Road to me, they're usually wider. So I'm thinking narrow, Country Road's narrow. I've driven across the country four times. So I think <laughs> narrow road. So I, I got to get that my head wrapped around that one. But. If you're open, we would tell our guys, because like you said, those D linemen, some of those guys, they're not used to bending at their knees, and they try to bend over, and they try to grab Mm -hmm. at the ball instead of scoop it. But what we would tell our guys is, well, I just learned what city road, country road is, but the equivalent of country road, if you can't get it on your first shot, again, I would never encourage cheating. But if you can't get it, bat it forwards. Uh, Dave Casper. Bat it forwards like you're trying to, like, oh, my God, I, oh, my God, I scooped it and I missed it. Oh, I did it again. The misery. Just don't kick it. And and then yeah. we would have them. If you couldn't get it, we basically the rule was you try to grab it. And I, I doubt a kid has ever thought this out loud. But, you know, it makes you feel better or not thought this out loud. I doubt a kid has ever thought about this as they're trying to scoop a ball. But. The rule was for whatever it was worth. I guess one of those things I think coaches tell themselves to make them feel better was you get one shot to scoop. Well, you get you get your first shot to scoop. If you can't scoop it, bat it forwards. If on your second time to scoop, you miss it, fall on the ball, but make sure you get in the cradle position. Now I know that's not exactly what you're asking. You're trying to get the score, but I love being aggressive. But again, um, since we're using country road. Um, we're using, we're, and we're using country songs. I'll use another country song. You got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Sometimes them. <laughs> you just got to fall on that son bitch, but make sure you're cradling it. You're getting the fetal position and you're tucking your knees to your chest. Cause you never want those kids falling directly on the ball and then they get pot on. That's how you get the, the wind knocked out of you. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think talking about it, I think being aggressive and in that pitch thing, I really believe in that because I think the effects of that. And again, maybe this is one of those things. 
that coaches tell themselves to make themselves feel better or feeling like they're being more productive than they really are. But I think it creates a mentality that we're getting this ball. This ball is ours. We are going to score on defense. It creates camaraderie. And actually, it's fun as shit. We had, a, um, and I got to find this clip. It was 2009. I think it was North Salinas. We had a kid named Adrian Melendez. Somebody called him Wolitos. He was no shit five foot three. And he played strong safety for me. But he was tougher than shit. And he could never get out leveraged. I always told him, you're not short. You have built in pad level. And he could never get kicked out because nobody could underneath him. And he was so uh-huh. tough. And I actually coached him in semi-pro ball when he was a full-blown adult. And he had grown an inch. And he's one of my favorite players of all time. But we're playing a game. This I, I, I've been in big games. I've won championships. I got some nice rings I'm looking at right now. But I think the happiest I've ever been. I don't know if I've ever told this story. Was there's a fumble. He scoops it up. And his little legs are running. He looks like the, it looks like the Flintstones car. His little legs are running. And he's about to get tackled. And Romeo Travis yells, pitch it, pitch it, pitch it. Adrian looks over his left shoulder, sees him, and he's going, you're going to get tackled. Pitch it, pitch it, pitch it. So Adrian's got the ball. He's running. I think he's about the 25-yard line going in. He looks over his shoulder, sees Romeo. I think he sees the guy about to tackle him. As he's going down, he blind pitches it to his left. So it's him, a guy chasing him, and then Romeo's like staggered behind them to his left. And Adrian, Adrian kind of just lofts it almost straight up in the air. Because he was going to run onto it. The kid runs right onto it, grabs it, and scores. I went absolutely insane. <laughs> I have to find this play. I, I was jumping up and down like we had just won the Super Bowl. It was wow. one of my proudest moments. I, I, I was like hugging everybody and just losing my mind on the sideline. But yeah, it, but it created that. It created that mentality. And I really believe in that. And it, maybe it's hokey. Maybe it's corny. But. I don't know. We had we built some hungry ass defenses, and I think that was part of it. Plus, it's fun. It, it, nobody wants to do pursuit drills, but if you're going to be the guy getting that pick, you want to do them. Yeah, everybody wants to do that. Hell yeah. yeah! All right, our next question comes from Matt Fillmore. You can take this one first. DBs and offense. Boo! At Susan Clark Junior High in Muscatine, Iowa. I hope I said that right. His Twitter handles at Coach Fi Eleven. His question is, when covering athletic backs, how would you coach up DBs when they show tear motion with the running back motioning across the formation? And what is your favorite coverage when a team tears a lot? Now, before you answer that question, because he doesn't really say the formation, I'm going to have to fill in some blanks. So, And I'm thinking tear motion is like pistol. I think pistol or gun back flat motioning out. So let's say, what's your favorite adjustment to two by two, and then your favorite adjustment to three by one with the motion? Um, With that motion for us, um, we can do an array of things. Um, Is we can stay in sky, and we're just going to pull with the motion. What's sky Um, to you? That's quarters, uh, just straight up quarters. Um, and we'll just pull the backers as that guy motions because we no longer have a threat in the backfield. So now we can pull our mic out of the box. He can hit the, the end, and, you know, that's, that's how we'll get the numbers. Um, and then another way that we like to do it is we'll, we'll run what we call cowboy, which is pretty much three cloud. It, it is three cloud. Um, 
but the big thing that teaching point that I I, I want to say is because this happened to us this year as a team ran that and they threw it out there to the back and our, we had our corner and safety come screaming up and just like level this kid four yards in the backfield. Well, five plays later, they do it to the opposite side. They swing it out there and the running back catches it and it's a backwards pass and he hits the wide receiver screaming down the field because our guys came screaming up. So the, the big thing is your, your cover guys got to cover guys. Like your backers have to, have to inside out that and get there. Um, because like I said, you got guys coming out of coverage to attack that. And you got those, you know, outside receivers with that little stalk block and then they go, you're, you're in trouble. Um, so that, that's just, that's the first thing that popped in my head when I heard the question, because that happened to us our second to last game is we come up, we make a great play. And then they use that same play and it backfires on us because they throw it behind our heads um, because our guys, um, you know, because, oh, we've seen this. This is what they're doing. And they come screaming out of coverage and they shouldn't have. Um, but that, that would be the biggest coaching point. But I, I think you could play a, I mean, if it's two by two going to, you know, now an empty three by two, um, I think you can stay in quarters or you can play some kind of three cloud or, you know, rip Liz. Um, but that's what we would do. We could play quarters and we're just going to pull our linebackers to it. And then we can play three cloud um, with that corner. Um, if he's reading two, if two's vertical and one's vertical, he's getting vertical. Um, somebody coming out to the flats or he can be the one to go attack that back. Um, and then we've got the, the safety over the top. Um, if it's three by one, and that back is motioning, and he's making it a four low, four strong. Um, you know, for us in our base defense, we're, we're going to play. We're going to play sky, and we're going to have to really pull it. Um, it, it, it would be tough because it would it would it would depend on what coverage we were already in for the trips, because um, we've got some coverages that. We, that we could be in in trips to where we could stay. But then there's some like, you know, if we're in sky pool, now they've got four over there. We need to come out of sky um, for us. Um, and then we need a coverage that we can get more guys um, to give us a numbers advantage, but we like to do it from underneath the coverage. So when we come from our linebackers, you know, that backside inside linebacker might now have to be getting to the strong hook and he needs to get on his horse. Um, you know, with the backside outside linebacker now getting, um, you know, to that vertical hook on the backside where he'd normally be a curl flat player. Um, but for us, I mean, that's what we would do. But I would want to know what are they doing? What are they doing it for? And what are they trying to get out of it? Because um, like I said, sometimes guys just do it. And then, you know, you start slanting, you know, moving everybody out of the box and then you get quarterback draw. Um so that, that that would be the the biggest question is what are they doing and why are they doing it? Yeah, that was my first thought is, you know, what are they trying to accomplish and, and what are we doing? Why are they doing it and what are they trying to do? So I used to get freaked out by motions and shifts and all that stuff. And one of the things that I always tried to keep in mind, this is something that Brandon Lechtenberg used to, you know, pound into my head because I would forget it all the time is treat it like you would 
if they were, you know, lining up that way. So if it's two by two and they're swinging the back, you know, and three by one open, you don't want to necessarily do that because then you're going to be getting into empty checks. But maybe you look at it and you say, okay, well, what would I do if the back swings? And would that hurt me? You know, if we're in a quarters coverage and you're in two by two and you bullet motion the guy. And also I'm having to fill in some blanks because you, you know, language isn't universal, but if they're motioning out, is he five yards in the backfield? Is he motioning flat or is he shifting out to empty? If he's shifting out to empty, then you go to your empty check. But if he's going fast, will my coverage hurt me? So if I'm in palms and I'm having my nickel stay inside, this is now an issue because now I got to check the quarters. I got to get somebody outside of that. If I'm in quarters, it's not an issue in my mind. Now that's, that's how I think, you know, if I, if it's trips and I'm in stubby, then that's an issue. So you'd have to three, four push that. So I would not want to change my coverage, but what I would do is a fast four in stubby would mean the guy that's the dime or the money or whatever, the guy that's splitting three in the ML on the scrimmage, he would push out. Then my next guy would wall the new four, but he ain't leaving the box. Cause you said quarterback draw. That's, that's what I'm afraid of is that sort yeah. of thing. So that's really it. The, um, I would be most concerned if I was playing man free and they start doing that. Cause then you got a backer. Like we just talked about, do you trust that guy in space? And then you can end up creating pre-snap picks if you snap the ball at the right time. Although that is that can be kind of difficult to do because, you know, you you are um, having to time that up. I mean, that's that's tough. But yeah. <laughs> I'm more worried about two by two the guy motioning in the boundary. Uh, how will that how will that worry me? And then to your point, you know, the guy going up and making a tackle, that's one of those plays where you're like, oh, my God, that was amazing, but don't ever do that again. And that's that's really the art of <laughs> yeah. coaching is, uh, you know, getting kids to believe that when they did something correct, not something correctly, they did something that was successful, but they did it incorrectly. Real maturity is getting them to understand, hey, that was awesome, but, like, this is where this is going to hurt us. you got to be careful. And getting them to understand that so they don't do it again. And that's really the issue when you get plays like that. Like if you're playing quarters and the corner jumps a hitch, you know, let's say they run smash and he jumps a hitch or something. Maybe that's a bad yeah, example. The safety. You know, if you get the, the safety on the corner route or like an out route, there's a good one. You're playing quarters and they, you know, the corner jumps and out and breaks up on it, comes inside and underneath. And you're like, oh, my God, no, <laughs> like that was cool, but never do that again because he hit you with the out and up. So that's mm -hmm. really one of the hardest things, the maturity of doing that. But uh, so that's my thoughts on that. Our next question comes from our friend Evan Hartman, the linebackers coach at the Iowa City Institute for Kids Who Can't Read Good at Iowa City, Iowa. You've said that a couple of times, Evan. It makes me laugh every time. Odd stack, <laughs> odd stack questions. Obviously, you can play three high from both middle of the field close and open coverages, but he has two questions. Number one, any advice on playing either two under four deep? And number two, any advice on middle field safety play in Tampa two invert, a.k.a. coaching the high hole player? Before you start, I hear the eye rolls on Tampa two invert, but teams are playing and winning with it. 
like Indianapolis Cathedral. Thanks again for all you do. Look forward to the pod each week. I'll let you take that first. Um, so when I think odd stack, I'm thinking three down linemen, three linebackers, two two overhangs, the corner, the two corners in, a, in the middle of the field safety. Um, and actually, um, I've, I've seen where I came from in Arizona. A lot of teams used to um, run the Tampa with it, whereas like either those overhangs or corners were the two deep guys, and then that middle safety he dropped down in the hole. Um, and he replaced one of the linebackers of the three who was bringing to make it a four-man rush. Um, I, I I believe it's doable, and it's actually it changes. I think with the odd stack, I, I'm not a big fan of it because I believe you need a whole bunch of defensive coaches to do it. But if you can and you have the coaches to do it, you can change your coverages, and it changes where the quarterback has to look. Um I know a lot of guys, when it's, you know, those odd stack teams, they're like, oh, read the corner, read the high safety. Well, if one, you know, one time your corners are the two deep guys, you know, that's what he's looking for. And he's, he's seeing those guys stay in the flat. And then now it's the overhangs become the two deep guys on the hash or that have the half field like that, that matters. Um, you know, especially when it's a rhythm throw or a timing throw He's look, oh, corner's there. I got him. And then, you know, he's going deep. And now it's that overhang who's pushing to the half. I mean, it just, it, it, you know, the quarterback, his eye discipline has to be great um, when playing those odd stack teams. Um, I, I, I think it's very doable. And I think it's a great changeup. Um, and then what was his, his other question was? The coaching points for the middle of the field guy. Um, we, we, Tinkered with a, a three high dropping um, a uh, our we had a big middle linebacker and he could move and we would put him at at eight yards and our coaching point for him was is because we were getting killed in the run game and our coaching point for him was don't get blocked like use the guys in front of you don't get blocked um, so from a coverage standpoint I, I guess his you know, his eyes would be, I'm looking for intermediate crossers um, because he's got a two shell going behind him. So, I mean, he can play. It's easier for him to play top down than it is for you to have that kid come screaming down and then he, somebody goes blowing by him. So my, my advice would be, you know, have him, you know, at eight to 10 and, you know, he's just got a, like a slow pedal out at the snap of the ball and he's reading I mean, ideally, he'd be reading the number twos or the two inside guys or whoever the, the inside threats are, and, and he's just reading routes um, because he knows he's got help over the top and he's already at depth. There's no reason to have him come screaming out. I'd have him at eight. At the snap, he's slow pedaling out, and he, he's got his eyes scanning looking for crossing routes because he he's that guy that could destroy, you know, a 10-yard dig or, uh, you know, a, a post from the number two um, because, they you know, they think that, they're you know, the middle of the field is going to be open, and now he's driving down on that. I, mean, I think it, it it could work. Yeah, I mean, that that's a, that's a great point. So, first of all, the two under four deep stuff, I mean, I, I think it's good. It, it scares me a little bit. 
I, I think of it more as like four under two deep where those guys are going to carry, but they're going to start short. But I mean, it's six one way half dozen the other. So I, I like that stuff. I think it's great. And the Tampa invert stuff. I, I mean, I know you're saying that you can hear the eye rolls on Tampa to invert. I think it's great stuff. I mean, I'm an old G defense guy. When I started coaching in defense, we ran the G robber and that's what it was. It was inverted too, but it was versus one receiver. But if you, those guys can get depth now, I'm not a big depth and divider corner guy. That's not really my, my specialty, but I know that it works. I know that it's great for, for other people. I don't really have a lot of coaching points with that sort of stuff, but besides get depth and squeeze inside. But for the middle, the field guy, when we did it, we treated it. It depended on the formation. So if it was three by one, let's start there. If it was three by one, we played it where basically he poached three. Because that's what the Tampa guy does, right? He runs with, he's your middle runner on three. Mm-hmm. So we'd lined him up at eight yards, split in the in line of scrimmage, number three. And he basically played like poach. He had three vertical. It was two by two. They hung in the middle. But you have guys walling those inside guys. You have, you know, those corners overlapping from, from deep. So, you know, we were just kind of trying to eyeball. We didn't see a whole lot of it, but you're just trying to eyeball those two inside threats. And then you can start leaning one way or the other because those corners, are you're going to have to get so deep out of there. The difference between, I mean, there's definitely a difference between regular two or Tampa two and Tampa two invert. I think the real difference is those corners are bailing the hell out of there, which I think is a little different than a backpedaling safety. You're turned and you're running. So I think you're able, the angles of attack, you're able to get to different places quickly and it, it just plays out differently. So that's kind of what I would do. Two by two, you just kind of stay in the middle. I would get a little bit of depth so you can see both guys, but if it's three by one, we're playing like a poached quarters team. But again, that is not necessarily my specialty. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I don't want you to go out there and and just take my word for it. So, and if anybody has any other coaching points on this, I mean, I like what Terrence said and and open it up. That's why we have the chat thread or the, the pod thread rather, you know, throw up a, if you're hearing this, and you do something, hit up Coach Hartman at Coach Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N, you know, or respond to that thread and just say, hey, you know, this is what we did for the Invert 2 stuff. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm excited to introduce Coach Vast Defense, a comprehensive out-of-the-box defensive system with everything you need to coordinate a top-tier defense coming in early 2025. The system is a one-stop shop and comes with a complete, robust defensive scheme with tools to get into any structure, including even, odd, mint-tight, bare, stack, three-high, and more. It comes with an NFL-level playbook with run fits and route matches narrated install videos with a schedule for implementation, and a library of answers for every offense you will see, including the spread 11 personnel offense du jour, the air raid, the Bryles offense, 
option schemes, including the flex bone, the wing tee, three back, and much more. It also comes with a drill and game film library, live in-season game planning sessions, templates to help you organize practice, opponent breakdown, and tools to make you a better play caller. Whether you're new to coordinating or a grizzled vet looking for new ideas, this system will have something for everyone. If you want to see all the details of the system, visit coachfastdefense.com and make sure to sign up for the mailing list to get updates and invitations to webinars to have your say in the system's creation so all of your coaching needs are met. Again, go to coachfastdefense.com, check out the details, and sign up for the mailing list. This past season, coaches across the country used CoachPad to be more efficient with their scout cards for prep on the weekends and on the practice field with their scout team. Whether you're using a computer program to create your scout cards or drawing them by hand, the CoachPad is for you. Some of the features coaches enjoyed the most this past season was never printing paper or stuffing a binder, the scout team being able to see their cards clearly, even in the bright sun, and using the CoachPad on game day to sync diagrams from the press box to the sideline. This offseason, get yours at thecoachpad.com and get your program ready for next season. Again, that is thecoachpad.com. All right, welcome back. Our next question is from Sean Buchanan, who coaches DBs at Blackman High School in Nashville, Tennessee. What a great city. His Twitter handle is at CoachSeanSean, but the O in Coach is a zero. His question is, longtime listener here, how do you approach teams that differ from the offense that they've put on film against you? Do you split time from what they have on film versus what you think you will get against your defense? Or practice what you see on film and have answers ready for how you think you will be attacked. Thanks, fast. Love the show. Appreciate you, Sean. Go ahead and take this away, Terrence. Um, with that one, um, because we get that a lot, especially in conference. Um, uh, you know, because in our conference there hasn't been a, a switch in coaches and coordinators in like five years. Um, so we always getting new stuff. Um, I I would with teams like that, I would come out in my base. Um, and, but I'd have answers and, you know, you know, that old saying the the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I mean, I mean, unless they're some ridiculous team, like, you know, St. John Bosco, modern day Centennial, and they can just totally revamp their offense in a week. I mean, I would bet that you're going to get what you're going to get. I mean, the formations may change, and, you know, a couple of, you know, kinks with plays here and there. But, I mean, guys aren't – I mean, you're not going to come out and a team, you know, he, they're showing, you know, spread offense on, on film, and that, that's what they do. And then all of a sudden they, they come out and they're running the damn wishbone or, you know, uh, double wing. I mean, because that's, that's, that's technical. That's a, those are technical offenses that, that aren't going to be learned in a week. So I, I would come out in my base defense, but I would have answers – uh, I'd have, you know, answers ready for, okay, well, they're, they're coming out and they're doing this. Um, great example, um, we play Roosevelt High School, and all the time they're a 10-personnel team. And they came out uh, the week before us, they put on film against Chaparral, that they came out in this, like, wildcat formation where it was, I mean, all linemen on the front line, two linemen as little H-back sniffers behind the guard and the tackle, and then, you know, two running backs in the backfield. And we were like, what the heck? But here was the thing. They only ran it for a series. And, you know, we came up with a way to, to, to deal with it. And the, our point and emphasis was to deal with it and get it off the field. 
you know, because our I mean, we know our defense wasn't built. You know, our players weren't built to sustain, you know, sustain against that. So we needed to deal with it, deal with it quickly and get them back to what they normally do. Um, so that, that, that would be my advice. That's some great advice. I mean, we listen, I don't know about coming out in different offenses. The, the biggest one I can think of was in 2013. I was at Sarah high school and our natural rival, St. Ignatius, we were playing and they ran the 2006 Boise offense. They were 12 personnel, got in a million formations. It was a nightmare. It kept me up all week. I was just, it, and people ask me, what offense did you hate the most? Like going against that is the offense. I mean, the, all the shifts for what we did on defense, all the shifting and motioning and trading and blah, blah, blah. It, it's just, it's, it, it was, it was a nightmare. We actually start having some success, and I think we're up like 14-0. Now, up until that point, because it was later in the season, I believe, up until that point, they'd only gotten a power eye maybe five or six times, but only inside the three, four, five-yard line. Well, they come, and so we had a check. We had a goal line defense, never thinking they would do it in the open field. Well, they come out, I think it's second quarter. We had, we had had some success. I was breathing a sigh of relief. And they came out and ran power. I think they ran it 30 something times and we couldn't stop it. And I was trying to scheme up stuff in the middle of the game. And it was, you know, we, I think we had had like a bear and pinched everybody because it's goal line. So we're not, we're not worried about play action. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you got to worry about fullback in the flat, tight end corner, like nothing. I mean, what else are you going to get in power? You're going to get offset fullback in the flat tight end to the fullback, run a corner, maybe a post, maybe get some scissors, backside guy running a post. And you only had five or six snaps of it to go off of, so you don't want to chase ghosts. And they almost beat us. In fact, they should have beat us that year. They ran the tight end delay play where they, I, we, we still called it Cherry Delight because that was their disparaging nickname. We called them the Cherries. And uh, to, that, to, that, uh, to that end, anytime I see that play and I'm tagging film, in fact, I was doing a consulting deal and somebody ran the play. And I tagged it Cherry Delight, and they were like, what the fuck is Cherry Delight? <laughs> and it was a throwback. So it was three by one, tight end attached. The tight end literally falls on the ground. The quarterback sprints out to his right. He hit like an out in a corner, and then he's, and then the backside X runs a deep drag. It's kind of like leak. It, it's leak, but they he, he like falls down. He acts like he's trying mm. to cut the end, and they throw it back. So I guess I guess it's the leak play. I'm saying it's like leak. It, it is leak, but I had brought a zero blitz and we had to play our end unusually wide for the play because I thought they were going to sprint out. And so he got a little hand on the corner. So he underthrew it, but the guy was standing alone in the end zone. He he could have got it, but, but really, really should have, we, we deserve to lose that game. And that game haunted me. And, and luckily enough, it was early in my career where I could make some changes and so we always had plans for weird stuff, but you can't account for that. You can't account for something like that. Like what we did and because of the, and really it was because of the breadth of offense we saw being in that league. I've told this story a million times, but we had split veer, two back fly, flex bone, double wing, single wing, wing T, wing T option, I formation spread and the Boise stuff in one season. <laughs> and, and then our offense was like air raid. 
So we had kind of had a bunch of built-in answers. So in the sense that we had, we had stuff we had done in the past. So, but what I do, and this is something I talked about in a long time. When I made hit charts, what we would do is for a lot of teams that we played back when I was in this league, they, uh, all the defenses were 50 teams. We're the only really even front base team. There was another like under front team, but they were still under. And so what we did was when we did our hit chart, instead of like writing where the play was run and then the name of the play and then, or, or you know, the name of the play and then like the number six, if they ran it six times, we would do tally marks and they would have colors. So you have every defense had its own assigned color and we group mm-hmm. them together. So, you know, oh, SI was the other four or three teams. So um, if we were taking a game from the previous year, if they ran the play versus SI us from the previous year or Palo Alto high school where Jim Harbaugh played, they ran and even from, they weren't in our league, they were green. So we would do tally marks and we would put them together. And so, we would basically hedge bets and we would work a play. We didn't think we were going to get. So we played a team, St. Francis high school in mountain view where I had worked before. And, um, their number one play was I pro strong lead. Well, in the G defense in the bear, they weren't going to run that. And play number 15 was I twins weak. ISO. so, well, you know, you get in your four, four handbook when, uh, you know, your coaching defense one one book, Hey, you want to run the eight man front? What are you going to get? You're going to get weak side ISO <laughs> out of a out of twins. So we practiced that way more than we did the strong ISO, even though the data told us they were going to run that. Because even though it was 15th on the list, when you did the tally marks, you saw that it they were only running it versus those four four teams. And you just know, I mean, that's a common sense thing, you know, getting a twins turn it into a four three. So you kind of have to guess. And that was one of the hard parts about running a defense. that's a little different than others is you got to, you got to guess, you kind of got to, you got to forecast. So when it comes to that type of stuff, I think that you need to talk about everything, have a back pocket plan. I mean, I would go into games and we were pretty deep on defense in terms of scheme. I don't know many teams that were as deep as we were but we had back pocket adjustments and then back pocket to the back pocket. So mm. you, we would do stuff that like, I, I didn't even tell my assistants about that. I had gamed out my brain. Plus on my call sheet, I had a thing that was like, it had answer sheet. So it was an answer sheet. It was stopper calls for everything. The offense ran like, Oh my God, we can't stop this one play. What do we do? But then the other thing we would do is I had a brain dead answer sheet. That was like, every main play in football known to man. So if a team came out and started running midline, what would I do? Like you're in the middle of the shit, the bullets start flying. What are we going to do? So that's one of the big things that I think you got to game all the stuff out in your head. And, you know, you, you can't have a crystal ball, but you can always be prepared. And so I think having some sort of like panic, Oh shit. Answer sheet is a good way to deal with that. But in terms of what to practice, I think you got to make your educated guesses. You got to go based on um, what they've done versus similar defenses. But like stuff like I mentioned with that, or like coach mentioned with the wishbone, like you can't account for that stuff, you know. And and those also like I I guarantee you this: the next year in 2014 during the summer and during the spring, we had a power eye period. 
where I told the story for the for the guys that were on JV that didn't stick around for the game. Most everybody knew the story. Or maybe they didn't pay attention that the team was in power. Maybe the kids didn't know what power I was. But you bet your sweet ass, we practiced some power eye that summer. And when we played that week, we had a five-minute. They hadn't even run any power eye that following year. They completely switched offenses. We ran some power eye. We were ready for it. So, you know, that's that's all you can do without chasing ghosts. So, Sean, I hope that's helpful. If you have any other questions, you know, you can always uh, comment on the show thread that I post on Twitter. All right, next question from Tate Herbst. I hope I'm saying that right. He coaches at Aurora High School in Aurora, Nebraska. He's the linebackers coach. His Twitter handle is at T-D-E-R-B-S-T. Question, mid-season, how do you divide time spent on calls, the fronts, the coverage, the blitzes you will need for that week's opponents, but also calls you will need down the road? We do not platoon. Ninth through 12th grade, one and a half to two-hour practices, Monday through Thursday. Monday, JV has a game. Thursday, freshmen have a game. Thanks. Always enjoy the pod. Thank you, Tate. I'll take this one first. That's a very good question. Um, I think the best way to do this is to start off in the summer. One of the things I learned from Alabama from seeing the stuff that's online and visiting is during the spring, I don't, and I don't know the exact formula per se, but they, they have one. I just can't remember it, but they have like, you know, six practices of scrimmage, four practices, then a scrimmage, then two in a day or some, something like that. I don't, even, I don't even know if the math works on that. I think that might be more than 15 days. I don't know, but. What they start doing is practice 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 is they started and this goes back. They started grouping similar offenses. So when LSU was with Miles and Georgia was with Rick, they would practice 21 I formation stuff. They would group their top plays together and just have their base game plan. I'm not talking about specialty checks, but you know, what are you going to do versus twins, you know, out of three, four personnel, that sort of thing. You know, what are the main passes? What are the main runs? What are the main problem areas? That sort of stuff. Then they would group. I remember they had a Malzan day just because it was Auburn. And then they'd have like a 10 personnel pass day. I can't remember. There there were some other theme days, but they would group the offenses together. I think at one point Missouri was running a lot of 12 out of um they were running a lot of 10 personnel rather out of 12 personnel on the field, so 10 personnel formations. And they would what they do is, and I and I highly suggest this, is during the season or when they're tagging film, they have an issues column. So anything that's different. So, so let's say let's go back to the LSU Georgia I formation days. If they would go, you know, end over. So twins with the tight end on the same side. You know, how are we going to adjust to that? So any kind of issues, any kind of problem, passes, formations, plays, that sort of thing. You know, what what are you going to do? What are you going to adjust out to that? And they would practice that stuff early on. So it starts in the spring. It starts in the summer if you don't have spring. You know, it's great to have a base defense. And I, you know, listen, you got to have a base defense. You have to have something to hang your hat on per se. But a defense is only as good as it adjusts to. You can practice against 10 personnel RPOs, but you got to practice a little bit of everything. What are you going to see that year? I would make a checklist. And again, that doesn't really help you out right now. But I think that starts in the offseason. The other thing is, you know, Terrence, just like I wouldn't advise cheating. I would never advise (laughs) 
lying to your players. I would never advise to be dishonest. <laughs> However, if you're playing someone that's maybe not great, but you know, you got a game in a week or two and that team's really good and they're very different from what you're seeing. You know, you could hear that. Oh, Hey, you know, this, our opponent we're playing this coming week, they've been struggling. They know that this other team, they run some stuff on offense that could give people problems. I heard from a birdie that they may run some of this stuff. So this is what we're going to do. The kids aren't going to remember the kids aren't going to be like Friday night. Hey coach, after the game, why do we practice ISO? They didn't run any ISO. They'll never remember that. So maybe you creatively tell the truth. You would never lie, but you know, be creative with maybe some stories that you've heard. Hey, you know, you need to um, worry about this. We heard about that because I'm going to be honest with you. I know that it's been ingrained in us since day one. Take one day at a time. Never look ahead. Blah, 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 blah. Understandable. I, I get the sentiment. I get it. However, if you're coaching defense in 2021 and you're in an area where there's a lot of different styles of football, what are you going to do? You know, if you know in two weeks that you have a team that you have to beat if you want to win in championships or you're going to go to the playoffs and your next two opponents aren't very good and you know that, you can be mature about it or you sit and you have a talk with the kids and be like, listen, you know, one thing is we, we I remember we played a spread team that wasn't very good and I had an open, honest conversation with the kids and said, listen, we never look ahead. However, we face this stuff every day in practice. You know, we don't need to see this again, you know, or we're going to work a little bit on something in from a couple of weeks because it's really hard to practice in one week, especially if it's going to be a short week. You know, we don't necessarily have the, the time. So we've been practicing against this offense all offseason, all during the season. We've played it this season. So we're going to and I'm not saying you spend half your practice, but you take a 10, 20 minute period and you say, hey, we're going to work on this because we're going to see this. And if we want to win championships. And you stress the fact that you're not looking ahead, but it's a scheme thing. You're not practicing it because you're worried about winning. It's about worried about lining up and doing those some sort of things. And I think you can be really creative with that. I think, you know, you, you never want to look past an opponent, but when you're in high school, that that's one thing in the pros and that's one thing in college. But if you're at a high school and literally they don't have a single, let's be honest. If the opponent that you're playing does not have a single player that would start for you, not a single one, you also got to like play the odds, you know? And, and, and I know that may not be popular and there may be some guys listening to me shaking their head and be like, no, dude, we would never do that. And that's fine. But at some point, or what you do is you teach the techniques. You don't even teach the scheme. This is one way you can get away with it. So we were a big, you know, stack and press spill the edge team versus two backs. You just work that technique. Say, hey, you know what? We haven't really worked our goal line defense in a while. Let's work some goal line stuff. You know, make some shit up. Be creative. Or don't even explain it. Just like, this is what we're going to do today. We need to be more physical. So we're going to work this drill to be more physical. Those kids aren't going to be like, oh, I know what coach is doing. So you can either go the honest route if you have a mature group. If you don't have a mature group, just don't, or just don't say anything. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. But I, I believe sometimes, especially defensively, you know, if it's the pass plays and stuff, fitting routes, that's one thing. But especially if you're if you're playing a bunch of spread teams and you got to play a downhill like I formation team, 
it's really hard to just go and play that stuff. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I'm a big believer. One, it starts in the summer. It, it, it just, with the time constraints that we have in season, it, it's got to. It's got to start in the summer. But a big thing that I learned when I was coming up that now guys get away from is when you're installing stuff, start from the tight formations. I mean, every, every young kid that I've mentored, when I'm like, hey, okay, install this for me, put it up on the board, they automatically nowadays draw 10 personnel, two by two. And I'm yeah, like, no. okay, <laughs> start with I formation, and then we can move out because it's, it's easy to teach when you start from I and then you start moving backs out of the backfield out to receivers. That's easy. But if you start from outside and then you – come into this tight formation, that's hard to teach that now. But, you know, opposite of what you were saying, overlooking teams, hey, we play in a conference. We For the last three years, we've opened up with Corona Centennial, Norco, Roosevelt, right out the gate. And, you know, I got all the respect in the world for Centennial. I'm not like some coaches that, you know, they, they hate on them and they talk crap. That's a well-oiled machine at a public high school. And they're, they, hey, we're trying to get through this game alive. Don't get nobody hurt that we're going to need because our playoff run starts after those games. So, I mean, I know none of our kids listening to this, Bob, but our coaches know we look ahead. We look to Roosevelt. We look toward the game that we can win. We're not sitting there like, okay, we're going to scheme this up against Centennial because we're going to beat them. No, we're trying not to let them score 100 points, 70 points, you know, a high number of 60 points. And we're trying not to get our kids hurt so we can make a run on the back end of our conference schedule to get us into the playoffs. So we do look ahead. And, I mean, if teams say that they don't look ahead or they don't look past and look forward, I mean, you got to really be honest with yourself. I mean, because it's high school football and there's there's some huge disparities, you know, especially when you talk about like California, Arizona, you know, Texas. There's, I mean, look at the scores. I mean, when, when guys are getting beat, you know, 50-something to seven in the playoffs, that's a huge disparity in your area. So guys can't say they don't look past opponents to, to get ready for other opponents that they know they can compete with because you're just fooling yourself. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's what I would advise. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking ahead. Because right. um, me personally, what I do now, our season is over. In February, I'm already looking at our schedule for the first five games, and I'm begging, borrowing, pleading to get film. So now when we come out in the spring, if we, you know, see something funky that we don't normally see, that's what we're working on in the spring. And then we start rolling in the summer, you know, then, you know, we go back to working on our base stuff. But, I mean, I'm always trying to be ahead of the game because, I mean, you know, if you're waiting to that, you know, the season starts, oh, well, we got this this team week three, and you're just now talking about it week three. I mean, it could be some trouble if it's something that you're not, you're not used to, you know. I mean, because how, how do you put something in that's different than what you've normally done, you know, the week of a game? What, you, you're going to try to put it in on Monday, practice it on Tuesday, and then you got Wednesday to clean it up, and then that's it? I mean, that's, that's like you say all the time, that's not a winning business model. No, not at all. The other thing that used to be instilled in our brain, and, and it's easy to have perspective now that you're out of the shit, but when I was at Sarah, 
it, it, it let me also say this it depends on how your league is structured how the playoffs are structured how all that stuff is structured so in northern california in the and i don't even remember at clovis how it was but at sarah it was based on competitive equity and it was based on a point system so all the games mattered for seeding purposes but if you're a catholic school team we were, they had A, B, and C League. C League was one point, B League was two, A was three. And then at one point, they had A plus League, which meant three and a half. And then you got bonus point for playing De La Salle. One of the best things I think you can do when scheduling a preseason, and preseason, you know, for high school is different. It don't mean the games don't count. It means it's not your league. But schedule a team that you think is going to beat your ass to expose your flaws. Schedule a team that you think will be an easy win so you get some confidence. And then schedule a team that you think it might be a dogfight. Now, if you're in the lower end and you're in NorCal and you're in an A league school and you're in a, or a B league and you get you're not getting a lot of points and you got to get every win you can to get in the playoffs like you have to go eight and two to get in the playoffs, understood. But one of the things that you know Patrick used to drill in our heads because we, we scheduled De La Salle first every year. You know, with that time they were the number one team in the country, and you know I know they last couple of years they've, they've slipped a little bit down because of what's going on in SoCal, but they're still a really, really, really good football team. Mm. And so we would get so hijacked with them. But the the thing that we had to keep in mind was that, you know, that game mattered. It was a, it was a great way to start the season. However, that re- game didn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things in terms of the end of the year. You know what I mean? Like for one year, we started 0-4. We, we played... Four out of the, uh, t- actually, even our our actual scrimmage, four out of the five teams we played first all went to state title games. And the only team that didn't lost to Dale Sal on the way to a state title game. We start off 0-4. We rattled off 10 in a row and lost in a state championship game by two points. So, you know, but we went um, undefeated in league. And we mm-hmm. won the league title outright for the first time, I think, in Sarah's history. So, yeah, nobody wants to start. Or no, I'm sorry. We split it because the first team we lost to was in our league. I uh, apologize. We did that the following year. Nobody wants to start 0-4. I'm not advising. This is make sure you get this wrong. I'm not advising to go 0-4. But I think you got to keep perspective on what the games mean in the business end at the end of the day. And if you're seeing a bunch of – that's the other thing is schedule teams that play similar shit. If you play a team in your league that runs the I formation, and I use that a lot um, because – of my experience in Northern California and then what it did to other people when I watched them play that stuff. You know, if you're seeing a wing T team out in the league that you have to beat to hang a banner, you better schedule a wing T team in preseason. You want to work on shit Mm -hmm. ahead of time, go schedule a team that does the same thing. That was like uh, when I was at Clovis, Clovis was different because we had five preseason games and five league games. That's a little different. When we were Mm -hmm. Sarah, I remember we got asked to play by some teams that they weren't doing the same stuff that we were going to see. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And it was going to be something that was really going to screw with us. So I remember there was one time we were going to play like a flex bone team. And I'm like, I don't want to spend weeks working on the flex bone for a game. That's really not going to matter. Now, a lot of time you don't have choice or team switch or staff change. But if you have the choice, don't go schedule if you're if you're in a run league. Don't go schedule an air raid team unless you you got an air raid team in your playoff bracket. 
when I was at Sarah, all the teams were two back run, whether it was wing T, there was some fly sweep. There was some spread stuff, but those teams weren't very good besides us for the most part. Uh-huh. And in our, and in our bracket and to go through the league, if you wanted to win the league, or if you wanted to win the section, you had to play country ass I formation football and win or wing T. So, you, and, and there were a couple of times we didn't see those teams. till games eight and 10, and we kind of knew what the schedule was going to be because of the rotations schedule a wing T team in the preseason. You know what I mean? Like that was my first question. Patrick would always ask Stephen Lowe and I, okay, do you want to play this team? And we actually, there were some times where I advocated for playing better teams because I knew it was going to get us ready later on in the year. Like I remember one year, it was like, play this team that was going to be a pretty pretty much guarantee victory. But we're going to have to spend a bunch of times doing some goofy shit that we're never going to use again unless we got to the regional and state game, which if you know in California, you have no clue what you're going to get. You don't even know the morning of because they draft things. It's insane. But I was like, let's not schedule this game because... It's not going to help us. Let's schedule this other team that had a pretty good chance of whooping our ass, but at least there was going to be some carryover. Those games are supposed to get you ready. And when you coach high school football, you got to worry about that shit. It's just like, who the hell would want to schedule Georgia Tech when Paul Johnson was in the ACC as a preseason game? Now, if you're Georgia, you got to play them. That's like kind of almost written in the damn state constitution, but. I, if I'm in a school, yeah. I would only want to play other triple schools. I wouldn't want to. Could you imagine? You have to worry about all that shit in the offseason. Yeah. Hell no. Anyway, um, my rant's over. But that's where that starts. I, I So I know that answer was a little long. <laughs> I apologize. We kind of got off um, on a tangent, but we'll bring it back. We got two more questions. The next one's from Scott Zymet, defensive coordinator. His Twitter handle's at Coach Zymet. That's Z-Y-M-E-T. He's the defensive coordinator at Newton High School in Newton, New Jersey. His question is, when going up against an unfamiliar opponent in the playoffs, do you break them down as you would with a conference opponent, or do you cut down on the amount of film you break down? Take this one first for me, my man. Uh, with playoff games, I would never do more than three games. Um, just, I mean, I don't know how it works in other states, but in California, that first round, uh, the, the, the brackets don't come out until Sunday. And you get those games then and there. So, I mean, three three is when, you know, the, the, the data starts getting skewed, um, you know, information overload. So I, I would take three games and, and I would go from there and I would really try to pinpoint what are they trying to do and how will they try to do it against you? Because um, I know a lot of guys put a lot of stuff in the huddle and they start chasing these ghosts. Um, I've worked for coaches that, you know, are the, the what if guys. Well, what if they do this? Well, what if, the, you know, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts every day, be a Merry Christmas. I mean, you know, if, if I won the lotto, I'd be a millionaire. Like really, you know, for playoffs, really hone in on what are they doing and how are they going to do it against you? And, and, and I mean, I think that could be a recipe for success, you know, rolling in the playoffs. Because if, if you get too much into the weeds, you're not getting the quality practice you need because you're still Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, looking at film, trying to break something down from, you know, the fifth, sixth game, and you're still chasing ghosts and you need to be honing in your game plan. That's my thoughts. Couldn't agree more. And you literally could have addressed that to me and I would not have been offended because I was the worst at that. (laughs) 
My first section title, Los Gatos High School, they had played 12 games. We did an 11-game breakdown. Oh. Uh, when we In 2016, when we played Sarah Canyon, I, we got all the games except for like two. It, one of the years, damn near put me in the hospital. And then the next year, Cajon, we begged, borrowed, and stealed, and did all sorts of things. We had a huge breakdown. But it, it's easy to say this when you're not in the shit. I know what it's like when you are. Mm-hmm. Here's yeah. what I'll say about this. I think it depends on what round you're in and what their last games have been like. So I would say start with three, make sure that they're the closer three that you can get. But if it's the championship game and in the first round, they blew out whoever they had to play because they're the one seed. But the game before was like a close game against a rival. I, and it also depends on what film you can get. Sometimes you just get the last three, Mm -hmm. but usually and it also depends if it says, you know, in the playoffs, but how far in the playoffs, how far away are they geographically? When we put them SoCal teams, I didn't know anybody down there in those areas. So I was like having, I actually, I knew one guy, one guy listens to podcasts who remain nameless. He knows who he is. Thank you. I ain't going to, I ain't going to put him on the spot like that. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it's also what can you get if you have your pick of the litter I would say pick three out of the last five most competitive games that are the closest to your defense. Now, if you run the same, if you're a four, two quarters team and everybody else is around, that's not really an issue, but here's what I will say. Okay. And we started doing this at club. Well, we tried to, but my assistants weren't necessarily down with it. And we would do this for conference opponents. So in our league, we traded all 10 games. So I'm going to take your question, kind of put Mm -hmm. a little spin on it to answer your question. So here's what I did. We broke down the last three games and then your most trusted assistant. Well, I didn't do it this way. I did it with the guy that did the least amount of shit. And there was a reason he did the least amount of shit. And he did the least amount when I asked him to do this. But somebody that you trust that that really knows what's going on and what they did in those last three games say, hey, man, I need you to go look through those other games and I need you to tag the plays like in a notes column. Just type in CV or something. I want you to find any plays that they did not run in the, in the three games we broke down that would hurt us. You know, so back to that analogy earlier, you know, if they're in a game and they're running I strong ISO and we're a four two five team, they ain't going to hurt us. But something mm-hmm. that hurt us, tag any trick plays, tag any two-point plays, Tag anything that you think would be an issue for us or interesting and make a cut up for me. So I could watch those just to be aware of them. Then if I was like, oh, shit, we need to work on this. We could say, oh, shit, we need to work on this. Mm. But do that. And then what I would do is, depending on when we played and, and how hard you had to break them down. Like if there was a bunch of shit that we had to worry about and work on, um, you know, we wouldn't we couldn't necessarily do this, but. Make your hit chart, do your game plan, and then if there's time after you've started to put your game plan together, then break down a fourth game. Then maybe add a fifth game. The worst thing I did, especially if you're working on a computer, so if you're doing a hit chart on PowerPoint and you have you can change the frequency of plays, you can easily swap out a 12 for a 17 or something. Now, if you're doing it by hand, it's a different story. But get your basics down, and if you're afraid you're going to leave any stones unturned, then maybe add on a game. Or let's just say, for example, you say three games. Say, hey, having hard and fast rules. You do three games. All of a sudden, you watch their fourth game. 
and you realize, oh my God, that's the same defense. That is the same cover scheme, same front. And they started kicking their ass with some play that they hadn't really run. And you think, oh, they might do this first. We need to work on this. Then throw that in there. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I think you want to have those three games and then, or three or four games, I would say no less than three. And then be creative. And maybe, you know, if, if it's game 14 and you can't get through all of them, give the project that I said to all the assistants. Hey, y'all tagging done. I have to do all the work now. While I do this, you go watch these games, and I want you to look for this, especially trick plays, two-point plays. Because sometimes, some teams, you may only get a couple two-point plays. And there's a team that we played. We won a section championship because I had kept a running playlist of all their two-point plays going back like eight years. And we got the two-point play, and I remembered it. They called timeout on the two-point play. I changed my defense, and we ended up stopping them. And I don't know if we would have – I think they may have won that game had we not had that play because I remembered it in the huddle when they called timeout. So, mm-hmm. I mean, those are the things that you want to look for. Two-minute drills. You know, let's just say the team that you've been playing the last few weeks have been kicking the shit out of everybody, and they haven't done been in any two-minute or four-minute situations. You're looking for that. Those type of offshoots. You know, we saw a team that it could be because they're explosive and they don't get down the red zone because they score from the 40 and in <laughs> or they suck like they they or they played some crazy ass teams the last couple of weeks and they eat in the playoffs and they haven't had many red zone drives. You know, look for deficiencies in data that you have in terms of things that you have to look at or situations that you have charted. Hey, man, we only got three red zone plays. Hey, can you pull the, uh, any red zone plays in the last game? So I think you should also look at that as well. So I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay, last question from our friend Johnny Mitty, student assistant coach at Maynard High School in Maynard, Massachusetts. His Twitter handle is at Johnny Mitty. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y-M-I-D-E-Y. His question is, what defense, front stunts, coverage, and whatnot would you use versus a team that base is out of wide zone. How does that change if they base more out of two back, like Shanahan, versus basing more out of one back like McVeigh? You want to take this one first? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, with the, the 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 twenty personnel, the two back um, wide zone. I mean, once you can pin who, who's the ball carrier, um, you know whether those guys are running it to the field or running it to the boundary. I mean, I would I'd bring outside pressure in, into it. Um, and, you know, the coverage behind it, I mean, you, you could run any kind of, you know, three, fire zone three, come bring, bring the overhang from the field uh, or bring the overhang from the boundary if they're running it into the boundary because I know some teams do, you know, for some reason run wide zone into the boundary um, when they're on the hash. Um, but if it's it's to the field, um, I'm, I'm bringing uh, overhang pressure, dropping the safety down, and I mean we're just going to string that thing out, or you know, kill it in the backfield. Um, with the one back wide zone, um, I, I think there's there's different ways you can you can handle it. Um, I, I mean, still with the the, the field pressure, um, ro- you know, rolling into a, a, a three coverage, bringing the safety down. Um, to that side where you're bringing the pressure from. Um, but just being, you know, ha- having different answers for it. 
um, you know, that's one way is bring, you know, bringing that guy. I know, um, you know, Georgia and Alabama do, uh, what is it? The, the mint Sumter, Sumner or Sumter, you know, where they're running a game with the two inside backers and, you know, they're dropping a mud safety down in the middle of the field, but they, it's based off how's the back aligned. Is he, is he wide? You know, if he's wide, you're running it away from where he's aligned. So you're running a stunt in the middle, you know, as that guy's crossing the quarterback's face, you know, he's going to bubble. I mean, because, you know, those linemen, wide zone, they're getting those, you know, they're getting that wide step to start running and, you know, pushing guys to create that wall. You run a stunt into that, the guy's going to have to bubble. And, you know, I think the more that you can keep it bubbling and that guy's not able to be coming downhill or guys aren't getting washed and then he can cut back across the grain. Um, so the big thing I learned that the two years I was on the offensive side of the ball, um, the head coach was a Chip Kelly disciple from when they were back at Oregon. And I never understood that the, the outside zone, like he was like, no, it's meant to be cut back. He's like, I want the guy to hit it in like the AB gap on the front side of it. And I was like, but we're tagging it outside zone. He's like, yeah, but once you start running and guys start running and they start washing, I was like, he's always got a cutback, you know, because guys don't, they, you know, defensive guys get tired of getting yelled at. You know, you're getting, you're getting reached. You're getting reached. So what does the guy do? Now he's going to over-pursue and you're, and you're leaving that cutback lane. So I think the change-up with the, you know, the game with the middle backers, you know, in the middle of the formation is a great change-up because it confuses linemen. Um but that's that's how I would handle the, the wide zone. You know, my base, my first option would be bring the pressure into its face. Or if you, you know, you don't get it into its face, that overhang that's coming, he can chase it down from behind. Now he just gets flat down the line of scrimmage and he goes and he chases. And then the backup to that is some kind of game in the middle of the formation trying, trying to disrupt the mesh. He stole my answer, USOB. No, um, the the <laughs> yeah, Sumter. I forget the rules, but it's like pressure to the back if the back is D. Pressure if he's if he's up there if he's up. But a lot of coaches have gotten smart and have kept their back the same uh, on the same plane, mm-hmm. so you can't cheat that. So how I look at zone and defending wide zone is not so much based on one back two back. It is. Is it under center or pistol? So I group those together. And then is it gun? And then from there, the one back, two back just decides what coverage you want to be in. So for example, I'm the same way. I like to slant away from the stretch and blitz into the face of it. Because what happens is, and I've talked about this before, but guys, especially guys that aren't super athletic that run it, let's say you're playing a three and a six or a three and a seven. They're trying to reach your seven with the tackle and the tight end and reach your three with the guard and the center. So that center is having to take a real wide step. And if you can slant inside and then redirect, what ends up happening is you use the linemen's moving against them. So as they're trying to get real wide on you, you're stepping inside. So then they have to redirect. And when they try to redirect is when you get upfield. So let's say your three technique, your outside shoulder of the guard, uh, the tackle's trying to reach you, the center's trying to reach you, and you step in the A-gap in between the center and the guard. So you get inside the guard, and then you pry at field. You can get penetration on that. The biggest thing is redirect 
uh, and I'm going to do a, a plug here, even though I already know we did our coach two course of the week, but I'm going to do a plug here and I'll leave the course up there. There's a course that I did um, or that I promoted last podcast, which was two weeks ago. And it was a TCU thing. It was two. It was, uh, I'm sorry, $20. It was like an hour. And each coach did a drill and Patterson talked, whatever. But there's a drill that Sarnell Fitch does that he got from Dick Bumpus. The Dick Bumpus showed me in his house, got down on all fours in the kitchen. I was like, can I video this? And he looked at me like, are you fucking kidding me? You, you want to video this? I'm like, never mind. But with redirecting, the whole thing is you got to redirect. So obviously you want the guard to reach you or he's going to get outside you because you're slanting inside. But your key in that center is you're stepping, and then you got to get vertical. And then you got somebody coming right in the face of it. So you're forcing it to cut back. It has to cut back because mm-hmm. the guy's coming off the edge. And then you're moving back away from it. So, and, and you got to get your backers to fit over the top because if you're slanting back, they got to fit front side. Now, where the two back and one back difference is if it's two back, let's say it's I pro. I'm going to bring uh, a safety or an edge guy from the tight end, and I'm going to drop down and play man free. So I'm actually going to slide my backers weak because I, even though I said they play with the top because the free safety's dropping down, he's going to be like a linebacker. You know, we play free and weak safety. So strong safety, whatever your field side safety, your strong side safety, he's going to come down. Your weak safety is going to go play in the middle of the field. So actually your backers are going to slide weak. If it's 11 personnel, then I might want to play three deep and run a creeper or something like that. But that's, so that's, really how it looks to me in terms of what I want to be in versus one back, two back. But the, the, the call is the same. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm playing gun stuff where I think it's actually easier to cut back, which I think sounds crazy. L- let me say this. I think it's easier to cut up because I'm moving sideways. So you tell your backers, you know, on outside zone that those back that his shoulders are going to be square. So your backers are going to stay square. Mm-hmm. If you're getting the ball and you're turned towards the sideline, what are guys going to do? They're going to open up and run. So mm-hmm. I actually right. think, and I, and I don't, I don't mean it's easier physically for an offense to cut up, but I'm saying it's easier to get the defense to cut up because they may turn towards the sideline and run. Where if you're under center or in the pistol and you're square, you may not do that as much. You want to roll over, keep your shoulders square so you can cut back. But I've seen defenses get sawed in half. With that guy, like think buck sweep. I'm running towards the sideline. I stick my outside foot in the ground and I get no, I get north and vertical right now. Now that's a little different. Um, now if you don't have a tight end in the core, one thing that I've liked to do is I like to run a retext away from the back. So the tackle can get real wide. He is penetrating the B gap. The difference between a retext and the run and a text stunt in the past, for those of you who don't know what a text stunt is, it means the tackle is going to contain. The end's going to come around second is because it's a run text. That guy's not going to go contain. He's going to get loose in the B gap and jut up the field and hopefully cut the play off. And then the end's going to read it. If the back shoulders are running towards the sideline, I'm going to stay outside. As soon as he cuts back, I fold back inside of the A gap. So you get bodies. I think the worst thing that people do when they play stretch, obviously you have to play base defense. Obviously you have to have base rules, but you know, you got linemen turning and running towards the sideline. And then what are D linemen's told from day one? Stay square, right? Stay square. You got to yeah. stay square. Well, they're turning and running and you're trying to stay square. I could tell you this. You have a lesser athlete. No offense to any old lineman guys and all those coaches. They get nuts when you say shit like that. But <laughs> they're running towards the sideline. They are turning and running and you are trying to stay square. 
you are a, a better at, or a worse athlete rather is going to get, is going to reach you. And so that's the one thing I loved about how TCU taught it was they turn and run too. You're going to turn and run. I'm going to turn and run. And so that, and that's the art of defense is when to stay square, when to cut it loose. And so you got to figure that out. And if I'm playing a zone team, I'm going to get my nose in the gap. If I'm playing uh, uh even defense, or if I have dominant linemen, I'm going to latch on to guys and I'm going to let them. The biggest thing is this. I don't know. I'm getting long winded here and I promise I'm going to wrap this up. But if they're running sideways, I either have to run sideways with them or I can let them reach me. But then I'm going to get penetration on the field. And I think that's where guys mess up is they try to you're, you're trying to stay square. And so they either try to stay square and get reached and then there's no lateral movement. Or they turn and run, and then you get cut out of there. You try to stay in the gap. If you can't and you get reached, you press upfield, and that's what hurts the offense. The worst thing mm-hmm. you can do is get reached. I don't think getting reached in zone is bad, especially if your backers are fitting off the linemen. And I always think of that story that Jim Schwartz talked about with Albert Hainsworth, where when they ran stretch, he was always getting reached, so they just had him play vertical, and the backer would make him right. I think there's some merit right. to that. But you, you either have to stay in the gap horizontally or you got to get upfield and you have to, to get penetration. And if you guys aren't super athletic, like you have a big dude that's really strong, I think it might be better to do that. Like if you're playing a three technique and he's real big but he ain't real quick and you're playing a bunch of smaller linemen, remember, if they're going to turn sideways, if you can run, try to run with them. But if not, grab them while they're facing the sideline and shove their ass up the field. So... Mm-hmm. That's my. I know I kind of contradicted myself a little bit there, but it depends on who you have, and <laughs> it depends on what you have and what they have. So, it's different answer. Sometimes it's, you're answering the opposite of what you just said, but because of what you have, it's different. So, insert yeah. skin the cat, whatever analogy. All right, my man. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you. We had a bunch of technical difficulties early on. You were patient. Um, really appreciate you as always. You're one of the real good guys in this thing. And just keep being you. And thank you so much for your time. Man, I appreciate you having me on. Um, and, and, I mean, I, I love this. I love coaching this game. And hopefully I can do it for a long time. And, you know, and it's it's all about coaches helping coaches. Um you know, one of the, the sad things is, you know, sometimes I hate the super secret, you know, ness about coaching, but, you know, I look at it like this, you know, none of us, when we were born, none of us knew anything about football. So, I mean, none of us coaching now invented anything. So, I mean, you know, I, if somebody asked me if I got something, I'm always free to give it, you know, they need help or whatever it may be, or just even mentor about life and being a man. You know, I'm I'm all about it because that's that's what this this profession is about. Coaches helping coaches. Absolutely, my man. Thank you so much. Thank you to Terrence Gant for joining me on the show. Had a blast talking to him. Join us next week where we have another fantastic guest. Follow me on Twitter at Coach Vass. The show's account at MDGA Podcast and Run Vass Option. 
Check out my Tuesday night football show on YouTube where we break down NFL games. Stuff does apply to high school coaches, so make sure you just don't see that and go, oh, NFL, I'm not interested. That won't help me. I interject stuff in there that will help coaches. Make sure you check out Patreon.com. December 1st, the funk is coming. Anything else, Linktree.com slash Coach Vass. You'll see all my stuff there. And always remember, the quarterback can't see with tears in their eyes. Oh, yeah, and how can I forget? Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Sound good? All right, that was awesome.